Life is full of personal wins. Whether it's cleaning your house, getting that dream car, or checking off your to-do list, winning at life is a great feeling. And with the State Farm Personal Price Plan, you can keep winning when you create an affordable price just for you by bundling home and auto. So give yourself a round of applause. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Greetings, nerd children. Welcome to another candy-filled episode of the Nerdist Podcast. Couple of dates to throw at you. May 26th, Nerdist Podcast Live with Robert Kirkman at Meltdown. Robert Kirkman. Greater of Walking Dead, Invincible, come on! That's going to be an amazing show. Also, June 4th at the Showbox in Seattle, June 10th at the Magic Bag in Detroit, June 11th at the Granada Theater in Dallas, and then July 23rd, Nerdist Podcast Live at San Diego Comic-Con. You can get all the ticket links on Nerdist.com for that, and a hearty, almost slightly too long, uncomfortable hug to Hover.com for sponsoring the Nerdist Podcast yet again. So Hover is all about making domain registration simple. Uh, domain registration sites have become insane because they usually try to throw a bunch of different services at you, but Hover does not do this. You go to the site to register a domain, uh, that's all they do. They're not going to try to push a bunch of crap on you. They also have a no-hold policy for customer service calls Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern. That is unheard of, except for in this case. You will actually get a live person when you call, and they will not put you on hold. So go to Hover.com, set up email addresses, forward email addresses, redirect domains to other website addresses, create URL extensions, set privacy controls, and they've really tried to pin this down to as few clicks as possible. You want to transfer a domain? No problem. You go on, you enter the name of the URL you want to transfer, they will give you the next steps and help you track the progress and make sure that it gets transferred over no sweat. If you need a new domain, use the offer code NERDIST and get 10% off by going to hover.com slash NERDIST. Thank you to Hover for your continuing support, and let us enjoy the Nerdist Podcast number 91 with comedy juggernaut Patton Oswalt. Now entering Nerdist.com. Matt Jones got a lot of work to do anyway. All right. Well, would you mind closing the door on the way out there? Oh. Bye, Jonah. And let it hit you in the ass. Oh, if you could make sure that happens, Matthew. Hi, Matt. Just talk extra loud. So here's the situation: we're using our snazzy radio station here in the E slash Comcast slash NBC Universal building, and. 
three of the five microphones yeah. are not working. Well, you may as well be in, in a garage. <laughs> we might as well. You may as well be. We, we could. We might as well just be recording with our uh, yeah. iPhones. Yeah, get like a one of those weird i y connectors into an into an iPad. Yeah, this is like Marin's garage, but without the cats. So <laughs> it's just us. So we re- I released Jonah. Uh, back into the wild because I, his mic doesn't work. So I'm hanging on to Matthew, who can maybe. Here's ma- what I'll do. I'll record me. I'll just put me in my pocket, like when I do my sets, and then we'll see. How many we'll sets are you doing now? That's fine. Okay. You're in there. Uh, anyway, Pat Noswalt is here on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. I don't know why this. I don't know. Wow. I mean, I even had the engineer come down. Oh. And he was like, I don't know why it's not working. There goes For Jonah. For listeners at home, Jonah was just standing wistfully. By the you window. Know, Jonah, Jonah needs that theme music that plays in stripes every time yeah. something bad happens to Boomer. Drops the pizza and the laundry. Yeah. His girlfriend leaves him. Uh-huh. Exactly. What I'm saying is Jonah's going to enlist right oh. now Yeah. Uh, in the army. Shave his yeah, head. He, he managed to barely squeak out five push-ups <laughs> and uh, is feeling, feeling his mortality. Time to go to the army. That was the last time we ever saw. So here's the, yeah. here's here's my here's I mean I'm thrilled that you're on the podcast. Uh, I've been wanting you to come on the show for a long time, and but for the longest time I just I sensed you're really busy, and I didn't I didn't want to bother you with it, and so I ran into you at the Ferguson show, and just kind of offhandedly said, you know, you're invited to come on whenever you want, and you were like. I thought you didn't want me on because you didn't ask me. I'm like, oh, I didn't know. It was one of those like nice guy misunderstandings. Yeah, I get really uncomfortable with there are things that I very, very, very much want to do. And sometimes I get to know the people that do them, but I never know how to approach. Because to me, it, it feels like, am I bum rushing people? Um, so what I'll either do is, but there's never, I, I've never found a happy medium. I either completely ignore them. Or I get so in their face about it. I I decide. Well, if I'm going to ask, I'm going to just ask like I've like I'm a wheelbarrow full of tools that's been pushed down a hill, <laughs> and I'm just it's just this huge tumbling tumbling storm of metal. Why is Patton running at me? Yeah, <laughs> he's Let about me to. Be go! Oh my god! Yeah. So yeah, that's so I uh, so that was the tack I took with you. I just figured he's got to be booked up through. The next few months, I don't want to bother. You know, I'm, I'm his friend. I want to go. Hey, put me on your show. <laughs> put me on your show. No, I've been wanting you on for a really long time. Oh, and uh, dude, and early on, Chris even said, "Oh, uh, I'd like to have Patton on, but I, he's so busy. I don't want to ask him." <laughs> well, you were like you were in New York for a while, and mm-hmm. and then and then you moved back, and then. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, because I follow you on Twitter, I've just been seeing all the shit you're up to. And then you finished your book and your book just came out. And so, you know, I, I just I, I never want to be the guy who is trying to skis off his friends and be like, hey, <laughs> you want to come be on my podcast, which I still think is an awful word. I wish I could come up with a different name yeah. than podcast. But well, you know, but but what I'm lucky in that all of my friends that have podcasts have really good podcasts. I don't have anybody that's doing anything that's in other words, it would it would only help them if I did the podcast, <laughs> and you know what I mean. So er, er, all my friends have things that I am excited about doing. Um, we just started a new podcast yeah. um, called the The Mages of Althea, and um, we'd really do you want to come on? It's only three hours. We're down in Long Beach. Um, if you want to come down here, actually, could you pick me up because we're recording in Long yeah. Beach? Actually, <laughs> in the shipping port. Yeah, Dean Haglund drove down. I mean, so I you mean, know, what do you think you're better than him? Yeah, I'm just saying, if you want to, <laughs> Dean Dean drove down. But if you're not cool with that, we're yeah, it's the... not gonna go, guys. <laughs> oh, you will get a verbal scalding on the next episode, Patton Oswalt. <laughs> there are, especially now with like 
we're at the point now. It, I I am blown away whenever I hear a a a sound a podcast that sounds bad. In other words, the sound quality is bad. At in 2011, it reminded me of when I was living in San Francisco and you would see a bad Chinese restaurant that had been open for a long time, and you're like, <laughs> how in the world <laughs> is this open? Because there are so many amazing Chinese restaurants, cheap Chinese restaurants that are five star, yep. you know, quality of food. So how does a bad one get away with? So it, like at this point, the clearly the technology to make a sound, a podcast sound good is at everyone's well within our grasp. Thing. Yeah. It, it is not a hard thing to get. Now, basically you can, uh, you can get the stuff you need almost in a checkout line in a Rite Aid. That's, Absolutely. It's become the pocket calculator. <laughs> uh, it's, it's hit pocket calculator stage. Yeah. You can just, you can get a little iHome microphone or something and just yeah. stick it into your phone. Yeah. I think you say this today when, when three, three of the, life. when, yeah, we're in, and this, we're we're in a, a super high end studio we, right now. This too. looks like the lab in CSI Miami where we yes. are right now. It really is where we're sitting and, and three of the mics don't work. <laughs> any, any second now, Caruso is going to come bursting through the door uh-huh. with this ginger cock. In hand, uh, right, exactly. ready to make some sort of smug comment about a dead body. Yeah, looks like this pod's got three P's. Yeah, this pod's gonna need an extra cast. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what? What's his name? I heard his name on this. Isn't does he have Horatio? a Horatio? Horatio. It would Cockman. be. It would be so cool if he would allow him. If they would do one episode where he tries to do a joke and stops himself, where he goes, <laughs> "I guess this tsunami means that." Hang on. Wait, wait, wait a minute. A wave. No, not a wave. So, uh, and then he just kind of, and there's like five seconds, and then they just hit the who song. Like he just, <laughs> yeah! And he just goes, you know what? Not worth it. Yeah, it's not. Ugh. Well, I guess apples don't equal. Um. <laughs> who are you? No, for, uh, for CSI. I'm, oh, I'm for sorry. Miami, right. It's, you won't get fooled. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I'm still waiting for the CSI franchise that uses Boris the Spider. That would be there's the one. Boris the Spider. <laughs> there are so many CSIs now they could literally just be really specific, like CSI Adams Family, and it's just all the CSIs that take place within the Adams Family compound. It's just Start a weird using classic shows. Yes, yes, CSI Gilligan's Island. Yes, yes, and which is sort of like sort of the the was the focus of your Wired article. Uh, we both right. had articles in the same issue, and I and yours. Yours was uh, was just like, we've got to stop just mashing shit up. Yeah, that's all it is now. There's nothing left, apparently. <laughs> and it's all, uh, it, it, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's actually, it's weird how that article is kind of reflective of what I've been going through these past couple of months in that, you know, now that the, you know, the, the book is out and you go, you know this, Chris, you go promote things. If you, you know, when you do like mm-hmm. your show, you got to go promote it. It's the least creative thing you can do. There is absolutely nothing creative in promoting a show. It is you find the same eight or nine anecdotes. You try to find a way to tell them funny and make things, and you answer the same 20 questions, and it it feels like it just dulls your senses I think as far as thinking stuff up. We really just need to kind of get to the point where, because what we're really saying is you should just, you should just walk on a morning news show uh, with your pants down. It's like, buy my thing, please. <laughs> But what happened to me was during the promo process, the downtime I had when I thought I'd write something new or work on new material, I, I was so fried that these past couple months, all I've become is just this media consumer. I'm just mindlessly consuming everything, every 
show I can download on iTunes, every podcast, every and and I feel like I it's like in my head I've made those things my work. Mm-hmm. In other words, like well, I gotta finish. I gotta get caught up on Justified. I gotta get ca- no, no, I don't. It's <laughs> there, there. There's no. There's no assignment. Like there. That's supposed to be there for you to enjoy. You don't want to be, the, but you don't yeah. want to be the asshole at the cultural water cooler who's like, I didn't see that. Right. Oh, exactly. well, you're not watching that show. I can't keep up. There aren't enough hours. Yeah, in the exactly. Day. There literally are not. There are so many. It's like there are so many good things now, or at least so many. The one thing that I'm, I guess, I don't know if I'm proud or it's because I'm just so exhausted. I've never gotten into any reality shows. I don't follow any uh, I don't of either. the reality shows. And I, and I can't imagine how horrible and empty my life would be <laughs> if I were following American Idol and Celebrity Apprentice. And I've just been following Paul F's, Paul F. Tompkins' review on Vulture, they, which are so goddamn I'm funny. I'm telling you, man, those are like, those remind me of when you would read Mad Magazine back in the day. If, uh, when they would do a parody of a movie that you couldn't see because yes. it was rated R, but then you felt like, okay, I got the gist of this. <laughs> I know what this movie's about. I know what's wrong with it. Like they would, it was almost like they. It, so it's like he is saving me, and you know, hours of my life hours. every week. I can just read that thing. Oh, I and it. actually be entertained. Yeah, and yeah, and actually laugh and feel like, oh, that was time well spent. And I feel like we're going to get to the point where we're going to have to create the the uh, machines that jack into our spinal columns on the Matrix. Uh, but instead of learning Kung Fu, most people just be like, I just watched season two of Justified. <laughs> <laughs> really? You could have learned yeah. anything. Yeah, their body's trembling. You could have learned anything. I just, I'm, I'm, I finally watched every episode of Angel. <laughs> Wait a minute! Oh. Couldn't you, you, can, you? Can you fly a helicopter? No. I'm gonna get to that. But oh, I watched Airwolf. I no, gotta, can you? No, I, I gotta watch. I gotta download Fringe next. <laughs> gotta get caught up on Fringe. I don't got that yet. But yeah, the uh, although the one thing bad about uh, uh, Paul F. Tompkins' Vulture, the, the column in Vulture, is there are some things he writes about that make me go look for those that piece of footage. Like when he described the Jamie Fox Will I Am performance made me want to go find it and watch it and it was as bad as he <laughs> as he described it was you couldn't believe that this was on television i uh i'd all to promote this this uh, you can tell if they put that much money and energy into promoting a movie it can't be good right it just can't be good cuz i remember i did you ever work on the MTV movie awards no i i, I went to a couple but i never actually wrote on them i wrote on them and the one of the years i wrote on them they were doing wild wild west mm-hmm. and that was the whole yeah so they got Will Smith, and but he's there to. I'm here to promote Wild Wild West, and they did this massive musical number. I'm sure you can find it on YouTube where and then Stevie Wonder comes they, out. Stevie Wonder comes out, and they're doing like it's like this huge Western like bar fight kind of thing, and he's doing his Wild Wild West rap, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and they rehearsed that thing all week. He had like an entourage of 300 people, and they had to be they all had to be handled and corralled, and they were screaming at people and making everyone miserable and. At least, and there was like thirty dancers. So at least a million dollars went into just staging this giant dance number to promote the Wild Wild West. <laughs> to be fair, it did have a large steampunk spider in it. It, it did have, as yeah. driven by Kevin, <laughs> as driven by Kevin Klein. That's what it was. It was a large steampunk spider creature. Yeah, which which by the way they had um, taken out of a, a a rejected script for the Superman movie that uh, John Peters wanted to do. Yeah. And he was like, I just want him to fight a giant spider at the end. And they said, well, uh, I don't know that that's one of his villains. I don't know why there'd be a giant spider. Well, I want it to be mechanical, and I want him to wear all black. 
Because <laughs> Matrix is big, so he's all black. It's gonna be all black. It's gonna be. All... Oh, it wasn't Kevin Klein? Who was the villain? Kevin Klein was Artemis. It who, was who... Kevin? Wasn't it uh... Brana? Kenneth Brana. Kenneth Brana. Yeah. Kenneth Brana. His... Just sitting and making and and nothing kids like more in a summer movie than uh, black and cripple jokes, just back and forth. <laughs> Yeah. They love. It's a real watching. summer pick me up jam. It's a summer, yeah. And then you go hit. Yeah. The, you're you're fresh from the beach. Yep. You're a little sun blind. Yep. You're you know. And then let's go watch black and cripple jokes. Yep. In a civil war setting. TV show. Well, that but could it, have been a great movie. It could have been. It could have been awesome. God damn it. Let's you know. Uh, Sonnenfeld. There's a really great. Probably was Barry Sonnenfeld. Yeah, 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 uh, there after Men in Black, but um, you know there there uh, it's there's such an insane remake thing that's way worse than it's ever been and uh there was this website called wire and twine has this really great t-shirt that's like a hand-drawn illustration of g of uh, gene wilder and it just says in this really beautiful font stop the remakes and uh oh. and it just seems really i think it probably came out around the time willy willy wonka got rebooted yeah but uh you know just the fact that they're already talking about the the batman's beyond nolan's batman that they're going to reboot it again. Well, that, okay, that's the word you just said that is causing it's the word reboot. Yeah. Not only are they doing remakes, they can now remake a movie that they just made and go, Spider-Man. oh, we're going to take a mulligan on that and do it this way. It's like it's like a meth addict is making you a sandwich, and every time he finishes it, you're like, "That looks good." You reach for it, and he just knocks it off the table. And goes, "Okay, I'm getting to know. I'm gonna take, uh, I'm gonna take yeah. some wheat bread, and then we're gonna put some locks, and then some peanut butter." Well, Hollywood has become like a four year old telling a story. <laughs> so then Spider Man fights Doctor Octopus, okay. and he saves. No, but okay. then, oh, but well, we Spider Man's costume look had a overcoat. No, but and, we like, just made in, it in, in, in Harry P- that. Dr. Octopus, he he was you know, he was a lizard. He was a lizard. What am I supposed to do with Sandman? Oh, because no, not Sandman anymore. <laughs> then the, like what movie do I you like remember when it was bad enough when they would keep re-releasing different DVD versions of movies like there were nine oh, versions of the Evil Dead. Yes. And, uh, and, but now they're doing the director's that just, cut. The director's wife's cut. Oh, the rest <laughs> is the boomstick edition of Army of Darkness. It's oh. like, but but but, but now they're doing that with just first run movies. Yeah, it's pretty. They're just it's just happening right before our eyes. They don't even get to the DVDs anymore. And and, and the reboot. Of, and I've complained about it on the podcast before. I, I didn't see it. It might be a great movie, but mm-hmm. I doubt it. But the remake of Arthur was crit. What hurt me inside because I'm like Dudley Moore created that character. You can't just do that. You can't. I can't. I can't say. You know. I think I'm going to make a Chaplin movie. Right. Well, that was the same thing with when I remember when the Pink Panther came out, and, and I actually got really confused because I was like, you know, no one, as far as actual making up comedy, has better instincts than Steve Martin when you see him on talk shows and when he when he's creative. Yeah. So where did that instinct go? With oh yeah, the 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 character that is kind of an internationally known figure that this guy Peter Sellers kind of nailed. I don't. I'm not going <laughs> to step into that. And then to step into it twice, like what, the, <laughs> what, dude? And and he can create good stuff. D. Martin can. So why would you? Ugh. I'm sure it's all about like film financing and studios. Like, oh, we want to we want to refresh these properties that people already no, know. It's like the Honeymooners remake, the movie oh. they made. Oh right. I mean, that was Jackie Gleason's character. That I forgot about that. Well, their argument is that yeah, we're doing it black. <laughs> Although, what's the what's the classic we old? The classic old Hollywood story is the guy comes in the office. I got an idea. We're going to do the whiz white. <laughs> it's an old apocryphal story. They say he's on down the road. Uh, but, um, but yeah, like it, it is really 
it, it is really, really. It, although it, the thing that we probably don't know is, and and I, I've seen this secondhand from friends of mine that have become, you know, wildly successful. Sometimes if there's a movie that you want to do, you part of the deal as well, then you'll go do this thing for us, and then you can go do. Oh. You know, so a lot of times, if you see someone like a Steve Martin or. You know, someone that you really like, and and you're going, oh my god, what the hell is they doing in that? It's so that they can have something else. Done. Go make make the weird indie movie that they want yeah, to make. No, exactly. I I I wanted to punch my computer screen because of the uh, news that they might reboot Time Bandits. Which, like, how do you? What? Yeah, they they want to reboot the Time Time Bandits franchise and aim it more at kids. It's, uh, it's not a franchise. That's a. what they called it. It's not yeah. a franchise. It's a it's a singular, perfect self-contained universe you can't go spinning off goofy adventures from Mm -hmm. that because they 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 take on literally they take on god and evil (laughs) there's nothing else what are they gonna do with the second one take on like lizzie borden like what they would just they would just start over they would just start over they want to they want to reboot the franchise and i that's actually then they'll do it with black little people that's what then they'll do it So you so they are re, they're remaking they're, or rebooting. They, they, they're are they in talks. It? They're in talks to try to reboot it as a franchise of films aimed at kids, <sighs> and Jesus it's Christ. it just hurts me so it hurt me so bad that uh, that we can't just leave the masterpieces alone. Like you know they did it right the first time. There's nothing more you can do to this that's going to make it better. And you know there's plenty. This is why David Cronenberg's The Fly is so brilliant because there are plenty of movies that. Started with a great idea and didn't exploit it to its fullest extent. So that's the movie you remake. A movie that they they had kind of the grain of an idea and then they kind of sort of went, eh, did something kind of weak with it. And then, you know, you do it the better version. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Of lying, so, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, the, there's, a, there's a, a Jack Nicholson movie called Wolf that has one of the best first acts I've ever seen. And then the whole movie turns into a giant pile of shit. But the first act is so great where he gets bitten by a werewolf and he basically starts becoming a wolf all the time. Right. Not just turning into a furry monster. He literally acts in his daily life the way a wolf would. He pees on James Spader to yeah, mark his and, territory. And he just, he has, he just, there's no fear and he overshoots everything. And people are like, what the hell are you doing? And he goes, I don't care. Like, there's just all these great little touches in his sense of, and then it just turns into two dudes and, in furry costumes fighting. <laughs> it, it's just like, what the hell? That happened to me with Hancock, where the first half of the movie, I was like, this is an awesome right, idea. yeah. And then they introduced that whole other thing about them being angels or whatever. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. No! And it was apparently the original script was really dark and had went, went to places that would go. And they just sort of... And now, you know, again, I don't, I don't really understand this as much as I'm saying, but... You find out later as you get older that a lot of movies that you see are, they were just scripts that were intended for other things. Mm-hmm. Like apparently, um, Tears of the Sun that Bruce was started off as a Die Hard sequel. Oh my god! And then they just said, "Well, let's just make it a." And then the I think Die Hard Four started off as a different movie, 
and they just pl- ah, plug John McClane into this. Oh my god! Because if you watch the movie, I like that hardcore. John, yeah, but but John McClane is not John McClane sure. anymore. He suddenly the th- the fun thing about the Die Hard movies is it's a it's an action guy that does not want to be a part of the action. Right. He he knows his limits. He's like I'm I get winded easily. I'd really rather not <laughs> do this. So you're like wow. But now in Die Hard Four, he's just basically super super cop. Yeah. Yeah. He like can't be killed, and he is to and eh, I learned to fly a helicopter. What? <laughs> you, you were just a cop. What? What? You were just a street smart cop, not a yeah. fucking helicopter pilot. <laughs> yeah, it just, it's so crazy. Now, do you, you actually, don't you go in, don't, or do you still have time to go in and kind of like take passes at scripts or add stuff or add yeah, jokes? And yeah, yeah. I was supposed to do one uh, this week, but then I, I, my schedule didn't uh, happen. But yeah, I still do it and it's still very frustrating, <laughs> especially when you see friends of yours who have kind of established a persona in films. And you see them wanting to maybe break out of that persona a little bit. And you see the studio guys just going, no, let's just give them, let's do this. Do the thing that, uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. This was years ago, so I, I can say this because I don't even know if this is going to happen. But I, And he wasn't even in the room when he was doing it. But we were all doing, a bunch of us doing a table punch up on a remake of the, uh, the Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Okay. And at the time... Owen Wilson was going to be in it. This was years ago, like like early aughts. So um, the, the main note was like, well, now that... Because they wrote a Walter Mitty script, and it was actually pretty good. But now Owen Wilson's attached to play Walter Mitty. So the studio is like, when he, we, we got to have him doing more of that cool Owen Wilson stuff. Like just oh, hey, man, I'm like, Walter Mitty. Yeah, but like, but like, you know, putting people in their place and great insults and great lines. So we're like... So in other words, he's not Walter Mitty. Like... Walter Mitty is this milk toast that doesn't talk. Like, like he doesn't. He if, if he's Owen Wilson, then he's not Walter Mitty. He's this cool blonde guy who's laid back and always has the right thing to say. They're like, I ah, just make him Owen Wilson. Oh, okay. So then, so, so they, then they, there's they, no reason for him to fantasize. And so why then, would he fantasize? Then they drop the whole Walter Mitty concept, and it just turns into one of those weird titled films, like Keeping It Snazzy or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Con- con- th- this is what happens. Too too much information. <laughs> When's that being made? You know that. You know there's a script called Too Much Information. TMI. Well, that's yeah. What, that's what she said comes out this year. Oh, does it really? What? Yep. There's a movie called that this year. What? For those of you who can't hear my uh, Matthew Myra because his microphone's not working, um, <laughs> that's what she said is coming out as a movie. So so basically that sort of oh. douche cattle call. Uh, that's what she said is turning into. Apparently. A movie. Why don't why don't uh, so why don't we just why don't let let's all just go pitch thanks for sharing <laughs> later on today. We'll do, we'll sell that in two minutes. You've seen you've seen Bob Odenkirk's uh, Bob pitches a movie video, right? Where he basically he's he like he plays the executive and he's pitching a movie uh-huh. himself, and the executive keeps offering him water, and he's like, "No, I oh, don't yeah, want a water." That. Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, so it takes place in Wyoming. Wait a minute, do hipsters know about this place? <laughs> yes, yeah, everyone knows about it. It's it's a state. Uh, it's such a fucking great. It's just like, and also you just sense the years of frustration from him, uh, like that he is expressing in this in this video. Yeah, well, that's that's the hard part about whenever they make movies about Hollywood, they're always written by writers who have been through those years. So there's, there's never like fun, creative Hollywood stories. It's always about look, listen, to this one I dealt with this douchebag, <laughs> and he was an asshole to me. There's no like, hey, we went in, and the executive was there. Those executives do exist. 
Yeah. You know, they're out there. But the thing is, those that doesn't make a good movie when you're like, yeah, we hooked up with this guy and we were both creative and he upped my game and I upped his and we made a good movie. Everything worked. Yeah. Really, yeah. But so <laughs> the the portrait of Hollywood, the only one that makes a good movie is when it's about the, the assholes. So when you when you did you come down here to L.A. with the exodus of San Francisco comics? <laughs> yeah. With uh, that all came to work on Trash, my, the first MTV show no, I worked on? No, that one I did not come down here for. I wanted to still... Stay. I, I felt like I wanted to have another year, one more year on the road and really, really work as a stand-up and get more solid that way. I wasn't ready to be in an office all day yet. Mm -hmm. And then, so I went back up, but then I got an offer, me and Blaine from Comedy Central to come down and do it, write a series of short films and star in them. That was in mm, the spring of 1994. So we all lived in this house in the valley and then we moved back to San Francisco again, August of that year. And then we got a writing job. Because at that point, I went back thinking, there's all these rooms in San Francisco. I want to keep working out. There's this really creative scene. And then when I got up there, in August, from August to April, August of 94 to April of 95, all the rooms shut down. Oh, my they God. All oh, was that because down. most everyone left? Not only everyone left, <laughs> it just got so oversaturated. And they, they the, all the rooms were run so badly, mm -hmm. basically that the, there were only two left, which was Cobb's and the Punchline. Yeah, and everything else was gone. And I said, okay, well now. And also, um, I remember this very clearly. Blaine and I went on the road and did a club called Slapsticks with an X <laughs> in a mixing it up in a mall in Baltimore. And the mall, everything in the mall was closed except the comedy club. Oh, the whole mall God damn had it, gone that's under. Such a bummer. So you had to walk through an abandoned two-level shopping mall. Where you're to go sure upstairs. you're going to be attacked by yeah, zombies. Exactly. It was it was horrifying. I, I was amazed that the, the the baseball furies didn't come out and just beat us <laughs> with baseball bats or mimes on roller skates. It was horrible. And we were in the club and we had been submitting, you know, we, we took our short films and we'd also written some sketches and we had given them to our manager like we I had no idea how you got on a show. I just didn't know what that process was. It was like if there's any shows looking for writers, I guess, do they do you send this out or cuz I I thought if I sent it out I wouldn't look legitimate, right. you know. So they said, "Yeah, we'll we'll submit you some for some shows." So Blaine and I were in we're at this club and we're all week we're like we're starting to get calls like, "Hey, there's a show that might want to talk to you guys." And so we're going, "Now, do we want to like we're comedians, man. I don't want to sit in an office and and just, you know, do, do we just give up? By the way, mid-90s, worst time to be touring for oh, comedy. Oh, no, it was, it was horrible. And we're like, well, I want to be like Maury Amsterdam when the Dick Van Dyke show. Is that, is that how we're going to end up? Uh, you know, and we're just yammering about that. And that week was the worst week we had ever done. And by the end of the week, we're like, we're any job, <laughs> we we're done. It. That week was so, that week started with, uh, on a Wednesday night, a bunch of people showed up, six people showed up, Dr so drunk they they weren't even making it sound like human speech like that kind of drunk oh, the yeah. kind of drunk that you see like on youtube videos like look at this drunk guy the kind of drunk you like, would find in an abandoned mall yes and they they had all gotten drunk before the show and had passes from 98 rock Ugh. they're in uh in baltimore free passes they're not paying for anything the best audience they all come in they all order um these just small cokes just small cokes because they're not paying anything and as they're coming in they're ripping pictures off the wall and yelling as they're coming in, and I went to the, this manager, Chris, and said, hey, why don't we throw these guys out because this is going to be a, a terrible show. And he lit into me 
these people are drinking. And you don't you don't fucking tell me who to put in my show. Oh, oh, everything's got to be so perfect for you. You you're a fucking comedian. You do like I mean screaming at me and these people were like knocking over other chairs and yelling and screaming and other tables were screaming at them and then they had to call the police in and have them arrested and everyone was getting refunds and the whole that whole show was a disaster but this guy was like there and it like he cuz he was like Hopefully they'll keep drinking and they all get in and get around to Cokes. <laughs> so he doesn't make any money, loses all this money. And then by Friday, he calls Blaine and I into his office and said, uh, he's like, I got these six comment cards. These after all these shows we've done. These people hated you. Oh, Jesus and we're like, Christ. what are the other comment cards? There's this huge stack. And I go, what are the other comment cards say? And he's like, God damn it, Oswald. You're the worst fucking comedian ever. <laughs> goes, Blaine, you're closing all these shows. Patton, you're a fucking joke. I don't know what that. I can't have any negative comment cards. Oh my god! And then I just said that. That's what. And that that was the after that show. We called our manager and said, "Get us that interview immediately." Was that and you? Because you guys worked on Mad, right? That was Mad TV. Yep. Yeah. The first couple seasons, maybe. I was there the first two seasons, and then they they justifiably didn't bring me back because I was such a douchebag. <laughs> I was so frustrated because I was frustrated because Mr. Show was on the air, and you know I so it was like. I'm in this place where we have to deal with, you know, all these crazy network notes and and all these just everything but doing a comedy show. Mm -hmm. And then over on Mr. Show, I'm seeing like the best sketch comedy being written and performed. And it was just like this. And I felt like the scene in in is it Stardust Memories where Woody Allen's on the train with all the sad people and he looks over and there's the train with with Sharon Stone and all these awesome people and, and that's pulling out and he's just like, oh my God, I'm on this, I'm on the wrong train. And every day you go to work, you just feel your heart shrivel a little bit, a little oh, bit more. God. And, and what was so frustrating was there were like really good writers on Mad TV and, but we just couldn't get through the network filter. Mm -hmm. Actually, I always said that, that Mr. Show and Mad TV were these perfect opposites at the time in that every now and then a Mr. Show, a, a bad sketch would get through. Like something pedestrian or kind of hacky Every now and then, it was rare, um, because they either got so busy or they were so you know they were so pressed for time that they they just didn't have time to sometimes look at the stuff and go oh boy you know <laughs> that was that might not be up to our standard. and at Mad TV every now and then because they were so busy a good sketch would get through because <laughs> they were so busy dealing with you know well we got uh we got Jamie Farr as a guest star so we got like like they would be dealing with the absolute. Non-essentials. Would they always be like, "Hey, we need a we need an X Files parody this week"? Oh yeah, or... oh yeah, absolutely. We have a you know we're doing a. It was just I did a guest star on that <sighs> show. I wonder you might have been there. It, they did a uh, they had me guest star on Mad, and the sketch was Ozark Mountain singled out. Uh, where, I believe I was there. Where and I think Blaine wrote that. Blaine, Blaine wrote that. Uh, oh, I didn't realize Blaine wrote that. I think he did. And it was. Uh, Use your words carefully, Hardwick. No, 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 no. Uh, no, no. He might. He might have. I'm not sure. But uh, you know, and then at the end, I think it was uh, David Herman and uh, Nicole um, Sullivan. Sullivan. Uh, and then they end up together, and then but they're brother and sister, right, of and course. then there's there's like chaw spitting and something else, and then. And then a commercial. There were so many great writers on that show. Lauren Dombrowski and, and Gary Campbell and Brian Hart. Brian Hart and Gary Campbell from Kids in the Hall. You know, so you would see them like, <laughs> just, I was actually telling someone this last night. You ever know, like, there, there's that, one of the reasons I think that the, this country is kind of going in the wrong direction is we have to, we, we have to constantly have to stop and, and deal with the, and like, deal with the dumb people's questions. The people <laughs> right. like the Michelle Bachmans and the, 
you know, where's the birth certificate? Like, are we really going to stop right. and deal with this How dumb question? How come you're questions? not wearing a pin? Uh, okay, okay, we're trying to balance Please, the... can't we move forward? <laughs> There's so many other things to deal with. So that would happen so much at Mad TV. There was a, um, there was this uh, writer's, there, there was like this young writer program, I guess, and, and it was a, a friend of one of the cast members, and they hired this guy. And this guy was the one of the single dumbest human beings and he would always in in the network note session he would he would want to bring up like oh i've got a question it was always the dumbest question but the network would go well i mean if that confused him maybe we need, and we and you can see all the writers like we're going to spend an hour down this cul-de-sac now for no reason. And do they basically you know? do they do they basically do shows now just hire a mouth breather to see how well the jokes I, are playing? Maybe to they of- did. I just remember there was a, a sketch that Gary Campbell wrote. Simple sketch. It, it's a guy giving a eulogy at a funeral, and the guy who who he's eulogizing, you realize, died owing him fifteen dollars, and he's pissed about it, and that is coming out in the eulogy. Uh-huh. Get it? Simple. Yeah. Um, do this. Read the sketch. It's funny. And now we're going through note session. Here goes his hand. Um, fifteen dollars. I mean, who cares? That's not. I mean, I think the guy should have died owing him like fifty thousand dollars. Then he's got like a legitimate gripe. And you can literally see the writers like, please let's not address this. No, 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 no. And then we're like, no, is that a is that a valid argument? No, maybe the. And we spent an at like that's an hour of my life gone. Gone on on a dumb guy. Like trying to explain something guy. funny to a hamster. It literally, it was so frustrating. Well, it was so, and, and I was like, and I just remember being that uh, Brian and I, Brian Posehn and I wrote a, a pilot uh, years ago for um, two guys. I don't, I'm not going to mention. And uh, at what, and it was a parody of like, of, of like, uh, of a web soup talk mm-hmm. soup style show. Yep. Where it was a guy hosting, and we we would just make up the shows he was showing clips from. Okay, you know stuff. So. One of the fake shows was an was an Entertainment Tonight style show, and they're doing a before they were stars segment. So it's one about Harrison Ford, and at the time it's like Harrison Ford is the star of such films as Six Days, Seven Nights, and Random Hearts. But did you know that back in 1977, he was in a little Robots and Monsters science fiction movie that I bet he wishes would go away? And we show a clip from Star Wars, and it looks like a 700th generation VHS tape. Like it's hard to find this thing. And their note was a. Uh, Fellas, I mean, Star Wars was a huge that made his career. Oh, come on! And uh, I think you got to like make up a. Fa- we're just, uh, oh, I so. give up. I give and up. that was an hour trying to explain to them. You do not see the joke that is. But it's uh, you know, but you know, you've you've definitely chosen a a. I I think more rewarding but more difficult comedy path, which is yeah. I am going to write uh, the, exactly the kind of stuff I want to do, and if you fucking people don't get it, then don't get it. I don't, you know. Yeah. And and so and you because you've done that, now you have a you know you have an insane thought. Like you found you found your nerds. Yeah. It yeah. It took it took some time, but it was worth it. Well, I had a I had an office at Dakota Films, um, for a while when I was writing when I was working on another another pilot. That, that Brian and I were pitching. This is a different one, the one that we actually had fun writing. Super Nerds? Super Nerds, which we really... Oh, Super Nerds. <laughs> so um, we would... Dakota Films would get... And any film company, I guess, because now friends of mine have then since sent me stuff mm-hmm. um, because I got so obsessed with this. People would send in their movie pitches, their treatments of what they wanted to do for movies. And they were... Just <laughs> the, the style of writing and the... Yes, it's it's terrible writing, but it's so passionate... 
and and there's part of it was like so what it, it would literally read like the guy's going if if a guy like imagine a super cop but then uh-oh werewolves and so like he would literally write them like that if ellipsis if if so yeah. this guy yeah so um i started getting obsessed with those and so i wrote all those eric blevins movie okay. pitches which i'm gonna which i'm we're doing the paperback version of my book now they want to do an appendix of all the eric blevins oh that's genius movie treatments which I, you know i've read other movie treatments that are just the most bloodless calculated you know th this person has been keeping up with you know maxim and stuff and right. fhm and is putting the appropriate phrases to sell this movie yep and there's there's nothing you but these strangled part of me like i if, if i was like a weird george soros billionaire <laughs> actually well no i should be trying to help the world but i know that i'd be an, i'd probably be an asshole and i would finance getting these movies made as as they are written not changing a single word and just creating this subculture of we will shoot your movie. Oh, that would be What's genius. your idea? I was I love that that scene the big picture where he's he's his world's falling apart and then he ends up at that construction site. Yes. And he's like, "We here at Brown Entertainment oh, God, that take the so market great. research approach." And we then they come up with this. Abe and the Babe, <laughs> Abe, Abe Ruth and Babe Lincoln, the two greatest. So I feel like there's just a bunch of guys now, like, "How much do you have to invest?" <laughs> <laughs> hey, Abe, you almost done with that bat? I sure want to hit me some baseballs. So now I just feel like there's there's people like okay uh, laser pussies people love lasers and people love vaginas. Well, there do seem to be movies that are coming out that 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 they feel like darts have been thrown at a board and they're just looking at you know I, I'm I'm amazed they don't don't use the bullseye in the back of EW to pitch new movies. It, it's incredible, like because I feel like <laughs> I feel like there's a golden age of television happening right now, and it mm. is inversely proportional to what's happening in film. It I've said this for. Years now, the TV. I haven't seen a, a film in a theater in uh, in almost a year. No, no. I went and saw a True Grit at Christmas time, and mm -hmm. that's been it. Mm -hmm. Because a, I mean, everyone's TV now is like being in a little, you know, multiplex anyway. Right. Um, and b that the stuff that's on TV is so terrific. <laughs> there really is like Justified is such a good show. So goddamn well written. Yeah. You know when I first saw oh like, my God. like when, when Justified first came on I was like, "Okay, Seth Bullock without a without an old west town." And uh and but I, I think he's great. I think Timothy Olyphant's great on the show and fantastic. I, and, I, and 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 here's how great Justified is. You know, like they do the overall story arcs, which is the fashion and TV now. And I love that. I love it because you're watching a giant epic mm -hmm. thing. But Justified is so confident now in its writing that they will do single episodes. I don't know if you want to saw the one last uh, ep last season with, um, um, oh, God, I, I want to. It's the, the guy who played Cameron in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. What's oh, his name? Oh, uh, Alan Ruck. Alan Ruck. He has a single self-contained episode. Where it's more about him, it's almost like Timothy Oliphant is the special guest star in the episode. Oh wow! He's barely in it. He plays a fugitive, and it is so. And it's a self-contained episode. Has nothing to do with the overall arc. And I just remember going, if they can write hours that good, then maybe they don't need to worry about these overall arcs because this is genius. I, I for some it, reason it was, I don't know why, but I keep playing whenever the justified credits start. 
for some reason, I play the Firefly theme in my head. I don't know why. <laughs> take my life, take my land. You can't take the sky from me. When Space Nine came out, and it was like Star Trek with an overall story arc, which had never happened before. Right, right. Just these one-off episodes with like this whole Dominion War, and it was like. Yeah. Well, I want I want to take a hard right turn because we don't uh, we don't have a lot of time left with you, and there's a couple of things I want to cover. Oh. which is uh, you are you know in in in. When I when I sort of look at the landscape of comics, uh, you you are one of the most prolific comics. Like you you and Louie and Paul F are these three guys that every fucking time I see you, you have a new half hour, and I don't know. I mean, do you do you? You know, we had a conversation years ago, and yeah. you and you said, well, you should never really sit down to write comedy, but I don't know if you still feel that way, or if you or if your if your process has changed, or like how do you? What what is it? What is it about your brain? You know what? It, what when I said you shouldn't sit down to write comedy, that was me trying to justify my process. I think that you should embrace whatever your process is, mm -hmm. but do it every day. Yeah. Um. So my thing is, I go on stage, and I talk. Now I can't go on stage every night now, but I make sure at least twice a week, either I'm being paid for it, or if I'm not, if I'm not going on the road, I will find a little room and go up and just try mm -hmm. new stuff. Um. I mean, I jot down ideas, and one thing I'm thinking of doing after, because I'm recording a new album in May, I want to see what would happen if I totally reverse my process and actually sit and write comedy and see what will happen that way. Because I may have to start changing my process because I'm going to be able to go on stage less and less and less, mm -hmm. and maybe I need to learn to write more and more and more because you know, my way of doing comedy is I go on stage a lot, and I just refine it, refine it, refine it, and I always, and also the minute something gets recorded on an album, it's gone. I can, I just don't do it again on stage. That's it. Yeah. Every now and then, like sometimes I've been in rooms where people are like, they'll scream like famous bowls, and which is very flattering. I know right. that sounds like a humble brag, but I mean, I've had that happen where I'm like, well, I can't not do it. But at the same time, it's like anything that you start to do in your act that becomes like a signature thing, I think you should get rid of and, you know, do something else. Like I've noticed like ever since I said failure pile in a sadness bowl. Oh yeah. The KFC uh, the, bowl. Yeah, yeah. The word sadness will start showing up in other bits as a noun verb mm -hmm. adjective. Yep. So I'm going out of my way not to like, okay, that worked for that one bit, but I don't want that to become like my thing. I don't want to have a singular voice. Do you feel like in order to stay fresh, you have to constantly can, you have to constantly make yourself uncomfortable to, yeah. in order to sort of keep your brain working. Well, you know what? Two things you have to do. Is you yeah you do have to make yourself a little bit uncomfortable, and the other thing you have to do, and this took me a long time to realize this because I used to be very competitive and jealous of other people. I used to be jealous of Louis C.K. and, and Paul F. Tompkins. You have to be delighted with other pe people doing stuff mm -hmm. that will keep you fresh. If you are delighted with the new, and if you're delighted with the competition, and genuinely are laughing at stuff, and let yourself laugh at at anybody and anything. And 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 just lose, just just strip away your judgment and your and your kind of clickishness, and be open to everything. That will make you more present, and you'll write even more stuff. So now, yeah. like, I I've I think I've I feel like I've come full circle. Where I'm I'm so excited now that there are so many great podcasts and there are so many great comedians right now because I'm realizing that's what's going to make me funnier. What's not going to make me funnier is me convincing myself that I'm the funniest guy around and no one else is as funny as me. Yeah. Because once you do that, then you stop. 
Right. But if I feel like, oh, my God, everyone is just firing on all cylinders, it just it wakes you up. Yeah. I, mean, it, I, I cannot. So... You go to the UC, you go to the UCB on a Tuesday night for comedy death ray. And you're like, I'm always the least funny guy in the room. And I love it. Well, I, I always get I always get a little jealous of the young kids who are getting to pay eight dollars to that for that UCB show or the Meltdown show now, the yeah. Jonah, Jonah's oh. Meltdown show. Um, that where, like, I just want to say to them, guys, do you even understand? Because I had that when I was at uh, when I was in at UCLA, I would go to Uncabaret and watch. Yep. Uh, you know, watch uh, you and Blaine and uh, and Cross and Janine and and Posehn and Dana Gould and you know before anyone had any idea who any of you were, and I really felt like. Oh my God! This is this is a treasure. This is a comedy that I that I get that's mine, and I really hope that the young people that are going to see those shows at UCB now really understand like what like how many great comics there. I was like sixteen or seventeen in Massachusetts. I would go on like BobandDavid.com and see the Death Ray lineups for five dollars, and I would go, oh. yeah. Well, I hope so they do. There are times I despair because I'll go on a special thing, and other people will, you know, Paul F. Tompkins will be on the road or. You know, Maria Bamford will be doing a show somewhere, and the people are like, 25 bucks for a ticket. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I see these guys. Yeah. You, you, yo, this is where the people that you like, they're out there earning money. That's how they earn their living. Yeah. You are getting special dispensation living in L.A. right now. Right. But don't act like, I get it for five bucks here. I should get it that much everywhere. <laughs> right. No. Right. <laughs> no, because no, we have to shouldn't. travel and yeah. we have to. We have to actually eat food so we yeah. don't die of starvation. We can keep doing comedy <laughs> for you guys. You know? So, well, yeah, yeah. UCB is a, it's fantastic. But don't, th these guys that are just like, 30 bucks a ticket? Are you kidding? <laughs> no, not at all. That's, I mean, when you start, especially for us, because I'm just kind of making the jump to the, to small theaters. Yeah. And, and you realize, like, well, the ticket prices do have to be $25, $30 because it costs a certain amount of money just to turn the lights on. Exactly. But yeah. the, the upside is, in the long run, it's less because if you see us at a comedy club, you ha there's a two-drink minimum. Right. Uh, you're going to end up paying more in alcohol. And, and so... It actually is less money to go see an isolated show at a theater where you're just paying the, the, also, the ticket price. You know, take a look around at what's what some other. Um, again, I'm not going to name names, but look around at what some other certain comedians are charging for their shows. Forty five, seventy five, yeah. and if, so when I'm charging twenty five and thirty, just you know, I'm keeping it as low as I possibly can. I yeah. d know that I talk to these venues, but um, I'm in this to make a profit. I'm not, <laughs> you know, and and by the way, here's what's also kind of strange. When when I when I do these theater shows for you know twenty for for what I think is a fair price I do an hour plus yeah um I get very few requests for comps or anything like that mm -hmm. when you're doing comedians of comedy and I was keeping it to like fifteen dollars sometimes that's they would go oh man just get us in for free then <laughs> like wait a minute I'm we're I'm I'm keeping this so low that I'm literally not making any money yeah that's great so you're yes. already not making money so just get us in for fine, free fine then just get me in for free <laughs> and just get me in for free. So now it's weird. Like once you take it above a certain level, people are like, "All right, they'll either pay or they won't." Right? But they won't like demand they get it for nothing. It's just I don't. Twenty five. It's you know I, I'm super excited and I and I I hope the experiment works. And by the time this podcast goes up, I will have already done a bunch of the dates. But yeah. uh, but I I and you I don't know if you'll appreciate this or not. I I, I name my tour the Chaotic Good Tour. <laughs> uh, now I know it, which leads me to. Um, 
it it does get brought up to me in interviews like so you played D&D with comedians and I'm like yes mm-hmm. Patton and Brian and Blaine Capatch and Jerry Duggan and and uh but honestly when I look back those were some of the most I the, I look up back on that time with such fondness oh god yeah those, every Sunday of just I, I might have been for like a year and a half two years of just meeting with you guys every Sunday and playing my uh, lawful good wizard it was so hilarious that the not not only because not only was the game fun but like any other things where guys get together, it was just us starting to just bitch and moan about everything in our careers and in life. You know, that's why we were doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Except, a- except that we would pause and go, and my dwarf uh, attempts to. You know, oh, <laughs> Patton used to write these, had a drunken dwarf. I think his oh, name was God. Stumphammer. Stumphammer. And Stumphammer used to get hammered and write these songs. <laughs> and you, oh. you wrote one of my favorite, uh, you wrote a parody to Seasons in the Sun and uh, and it hey, you know could, what I should do? Why don't I just send you the lyrics and you just record it and play it on the show? <laughs> I'll just email you the lyrics. Crazy. I mean, you're, you're a musician. You're you know you can you can bang it out and just sing it. You 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 don't want to sing it? I can. Well, we can arrange for me to sing it. Zomp, z- I'll send you the lyrics and you tell me what you want to do. <laughs> okay. Get a mandolin and a lute and a flute. That would and, be you know. so much fun. Oh yeah, because you you. Patton, you inspired the Hard and Firm song. She named the Pony Jesus. That's right. Which is which is which is which is a song I greatly enjoyed. You said. You you uh, did a breakdown of the Christmas shoes and that line, which I took that line out once you recorded the song, which I was I was describing the singer's voice. Yeah, and he's doing that over sexualized. Yeah, even though he's even though I'm singing in a Christian rock band, <laughs> I will lay the pipe into you, ladies. Make no mistake. So it's that kind of you know manly. And she named the pony Jesus. <laughs> and we and you record and you did that exact. You did that voice just like the. This is a guy, tr- I think he's trying to get laid. Yeah, it was a duo. It was Furman and I dressed at where these characters called Dick Lord and Purpose. <laughs> Dick Lord and, and Purpose. Ba- and Furman was just Purpose. <laughs> and I was Dick Lord. It was the most sexualized version yeah. of a Christian. Yeah. Maybe, you know what? I will tack that song on the end of the, I will tack Shane the Pony Jesus on the end of this podcast. It is a, it so is a people- tr- especially when you do the, I'm so passionate, I can't even pronounce my consonants. Yeah. And you'll know the part when I'm talking, when you hear it, you'll go, oh, he's doing the classic Christian country. I'm so passionate, I'm just making vowel sounds. God, I would point. get so mad at people for like, Christmas shoes is a sweet song. Like, it is a heavy handed, <laughs> yeah. awful. And it's mean spirited. So mean. Ugh. Ugh. Anyway, uh, those D and D times. I, I bought your book. It's a Zombie Spaceship Wasteland. Is that is that correct? Yes, it is. I bought I bought it for the iPad, uh, and I will probably read it on one of the many planes I will be on. You in, will be on many planes on the Chaotic Good Tour. But uh, but um, but I do, and I hope because my book, The Nerdist Way, does sort of kind of j- like jab at the point, like, well, we've become a culture of nerds, and I know yeah. that you say the same thing, and I hope. You don't think I took that from you, but it is something that I have been thinking for a no, long time. I think and a lot of people, I mean, it, it's it's a thing that's in the air right now. Yeah. And, you know, I just, I, I think it was just timing, but I think a lot of people have been thinking it and, 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 and just not even think, just feeling it. I mean, it's so obvious. How do you feel about it? Like, how do you feel about 125,000 people at, 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 at San Diego Comic-Con? Does it, do, do you do you think it's you know overall it's good for nerd business that we've become this culture of accepted I, I think creatures? You, yeah, you get old enough to know that every single thing, punk rock, hip hop, everything becomes mainstream. It has to so that something else can react to it. Mm-hmm. If it constantly stays underground, staying underground and staying edgy um, is just as stagnating as staying mainstream and bloated. Right, right. So you um. I mean, this goes back to exactly what you were talking about with writing before. Like, you, yeah. you need to kind of mix it up. Exactly, yeah. So, so uh, Zombie Spaceship Wasteland, mm. um, 
is it is it a collection of is it sort of like a, a like stories of uh... it's a collection of um personal essays about my life and then short comedic bits because you can tell that I wasn't quite committed to you know writing personal stuff and then the one that I'm working on now um that will come out probably in 2013 I'm just gonna now I've it's like I've exercised the goofy essay portion and I'm just gonna write like personal stuff I think you know. I think when you say that though, when you say when it's going to come out, you have to say it like it's really futuristic. Like it comes out in the year 2013. Because <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound. Like, yeah, it's only two years away. It sounds like it sounds like it's yeah. in the distant future. Yeah, we'll say like we're in like one of those Italian science fiction flicks made in the 60s. <laughs> it's in the year 2013 when the when a cat is president. And, oh, come on, really. <laughs> Wait a minute, this guy who does Speed Racer dubbed this. <laughs> you ever watch those like uh, Mario Bava movies when they get dubbed into English? Apparently, the same eight guys that dubbed everything back then. So it's like there's a, there's an English dubbed version of Black Sunday, and it's the cast of Speed Racer. Oh, wow. I, I'm not kidding. It's like, well, that's Speed, and there's Pops. and What the hell? Like, it's totally... Oh, those... look out, Speed! <laughs> oh, look oh. out! The devil. Oh. Do they think Americans say oh in front of everything? I oh, <laughs> speed. Oh. Oh, my chimp. I have a weird chimp because this is animation and we need to have an animal. <laughs> um, how has uh how has the how has the ratatouille experience been been for you just in terms of is it it's sort of separate from has it has it driven people out to your shows? I just remember this great the those great stories, which oh. I'm sure were painful at the time when you were on King of Queens and you would go oh, to, to you'd go to the red states and King and and Spence fans would show up and then you know you were and you would do the uh, George Bush's Hitler yeah, jokes. Well, also that was my fault because I was not con- I was not you know controlling my advertising and the promotion. I didn't I just figured I was so lazy. I'm like yeah, just say I'm on TV. Boom, they'll yeah. come out and um. Not knowing that people said, oh, King of Queens, our family enjoys that at 8 p.m. on Monday nights. Right. And now, you know, so that's what got me going. I need to let people. So luckily with with um, Ratatouille, because it, I, I think it's because it's Pixar and because. Red Bird. Uh, unless you're the dumbest human being, people have to know that he's in an adult nightclub. Like there's alcohol here. Right. He's probably not doing a G-rated show. Right. I probably shouldn't bring. And also the, the little kids who would like Ratatouille they're never up that late so i for the most part i haven't had anyone go we thought you were this nice rat and you, you know <laughs> but i did have families with like teenagers come out to see me my shows because of king of queens oh yeah like 12 and 13 year olds would go well there was a, i remember what? that i remember and i had a guy in i had a guy in richmond indiana yell do spence <laughs> when like i was 35 minutes into my set, and it was going horrible, and they hated me, and and it wasn't even angry. It was like this, do sp- like, come on, man, do Spence. Enough's enough. Now like, at that at that point, are you are you hurting inside, or are you like, well, these people are not my audience, and I'll just get through it and move well, on? I mean, I was hurting a little bit in that I realized how 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 much it was my fault, how much I was like, oh, I didn't I didn't do the work here to let the people know you're not getting a you know, 8 p.m. sitcom. So that's when I, you know, I had to really sit down and go, okay, how do I do this differently so I don't run into these walkouts, basically, these mass walkouts, man. What was the story of you? It was it was, it was, was a George Bush as, as Hitler story. That was in Pittsburgh. <laughs> oh, boy. That's when, the, although that was because they got me so angry. A guy actually said, 
why don't you take your faggot ass back to Hollywood? Oh. So then I said, okay, now I'm going to cause a walkout now because fuck these people. Yeah. Because and, and also because they're pounding on the table and going bush rocks, and these are people in this, you know, struggling, decrepit steel town whose kids are being sent to war on the, on the lie of a draft dodger, basically. Like, there were so many wrong things going on. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, they're victims, but what the fuck? Like, I thought maybe a shock to the system or something. I, I'm, I'm such an arrogant asshole, but I just thought maybe that'll do it, and then it went even worse. That's when I did that Hitler thing, and it, which, which is a – it's Blaine Capatch's line, but at the point it just felt like, I want to just – Throw gasoline on this gasoline fire and see what happens. Where uh, Pat, where Patton said, I just said, I go, folks. You know, I I have problems with George Bush, but you know, I don't agree with these people that are. I'm I'm, I'm comparing him with like Darth Vader and right. Lex Luthor, fictional figures. There's other assholes in the media that are comparing him to Hitler, and I think that's ridiculous. And I actually got like some applause, like here, here. I'm like, here we go, like here we go. I go, they're nothing. I mean, Hitler was elected, and then that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they just. Oh. But that doesn't oh, here, that doesn't happen anymore. Here's another frustrating story. I'll end on this because unfortunately I have to go. You gotta go. Yeah. Um, I did a college in St. Louis, and it was a university. And again, this was back in my eh, book. How much money? Perfect. I'm like I don't, you know, I don't care. Great. And then I, <clears throat> this was months down the road. I'm doing this, and I run into David Cross. He goes, "What are you up to?" I'm like, "I'm doing this and this." And I named the college I'm doing, and he said, "Oh God, I got." There was a huge walkout during my show that they're like a strict Jesuit college oh boy and uh so you better let them know what it is you do you know like it's kind of r-rated adult so i'm like oh no so we we sent them i had my manager send them my my cds and my dvds and went this is what he does and this is the act he'll be you know he'll be doing an act similar to this and you know i mean i'd be doing all new stuff not on those albums but it will be on that you know it'll Mm -hmm. be that adult and they went that's totally cool they just they immediately said it's totally cool and then i said they didn't watch them they responded too quickly. Please make sure they watch it. And I want them to say that these bits are okay, you know. So then the next day they called and said, oh, that's fine. It's totally cool, you know. And I'm the whole time like, this does not sound good. <laughs> but but it was I, it was a lot of money, and I really needed it. So I fly out there. This guy, student coordinator, meets me. Yeah, so uh, looking forward. We got a sold-out room tonight. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of King of Queens fans in the, at oh, this college. Boy. They uh, red flag. They're really loving it. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. But I mean, you guys got my CDs and DVDs, right? Oh yeah, yeah, sure. No, we loved them. No, they know they're college kids. They're college kids. Although, um, oh, so he goes, they're college kids. They're totally cool. I go, okay, great, great. This is like the silence. Because I mean, I mean, if you had to do a G-rated act, I mean, that's you could totally do that, though, right? I mean, that's all you comedians. You can change your stuff, if you right? Had like, to. no, because that's why we sent you my stuff to tell you that that's the stuff I do, and you know, I don't do a G-rated thing. Oh, and, and when we watched it, we loved it. I mean, you know, it's it's just that you know, it's freshman orientation, and it's all the parents are in the audience. Oh, Jesus Christ! I go, well, then it's probably going to be, you know, I don't know how the show's going to go. I go, I don't know how the show's going to go then. So like maybe, so maybe this would be a good time. Like you know, if you have like G-rated stuff, you could, you could like do that. Like no, I like he kept doing this oh, passive aggressive. Like maybe you could. And it how did the show go? Uh, there were some walkouts, but not a lot. 
But there were like a lot of parents getting up and that's and co- then, that, that's colleges though. Like you show up to do a college and like, hey, we just started handing out flyers at six. Yeah, like, exactly. But, but what? what don't you? they know? Yeah. So and then they got like some angry letters from parents. But at that point, I felt totally cool just telling them, hey, fuck off. Yeah. I did. I I went out of my way. I did everything I could. And so that didn't. one I didn't feel bad about. Well, uh, I know you have to go. Uh, Zombie Spaceship Wasteland uh, is available now, and uh, you should definitely pick it up. I'm enjo- I'm enjo- I've enjoyed your Wired stuff oh, as man, well. That's so it's so much fun, and uh, you know it's just nice when you. I mean, I've known you forever, so it's always nice. It's nice to see your friends, you know, carve their own path and make their own thing happen. And, you know, because it's definitely it's definitely <laughs> inspiring to people like me who, you know, well, like you've done the same thing. Well, I know, you but totally I feel like totally did the same thing. I don't know. I just feel like I'm I'm copying guys like you and Paul. I'm and, copying guys <laughs> like Cross. I mean, we all look <laughs> if I see something that works and, it, and it's going to help me do the stuff that I want to do. Why not? Those methods are good. So just really quickly before you go, uh, who, who just a quick list of influences, uh, past and contemporary. Uh, well, past, you know, people like Jonathan Winters and and especially Richard Pryor, even the earlier albums when he's transitioning, mm-hmm. like albums like Are You Serious, where he's not quite the Richard Pryor that we got to know. Yep. And then but then once I started doing comedy, I mean, right before I when I started doing comedy, there were people that I hadn't met yet personally, people like Dana Gould and Bill Hicks. And, and cross and people like that. And then but once I started doing comedy, it's just been all my friends, man. It's all my friends. It's all my friends and what they do, you know? And when I say I'm I'm copying cross, I mean that idea of going into small rock clubs and mm-hmm. doing it that way and building up your own audience that way. I'm like, oh fuck, I'm gonna do that. And then, you know, when I saw how people were starting to build websites and use Twitter and social networking, I was very much against that. And then I saw that, oh no, that can actually be really clever and smart mm-hmm. and fun. So, you know, everyone, I've had a few inspirations in my time, but for the most part, I try to be influenced by really smart, funny people. Yeah. And not just people that are successful. And because if I, I just followed the people, the examples of people that are just purely successful and rich, I think I'd be a pretty awful comedian. right now. <laughs> you know, well, uh, fortunately we have a cornucopia of wonderful comedians uh, to draw from. Are, are we, God, we we're, we're in a, we're very lucky to be in the circle that we're in. Yeah. I oh, totally boy. agree. By the way, Albert Brooks started tweeting and we started, uh, talking back and forth on Twitter. Did yes. you see that? No, you did. Cause he tweeted at me and I shit myself. Yeah. He tweeted me like three times. Oh, that's so awesome. I had like a heart attack. Have you met him? No, never met him. I don't know what I'd say if I met him. Oh, he must know who you are. I don't. I, I I'll maybe bet he, he does. doesn't. I bet he does. My friend said that he met him coming out of a Ralph's years ago, and he walked up and uh, and he said, "Oh my God, Albert Brooks, I'm. I just. I think you're a genius." And Albert goes, "Do you? Here, take my change. Just have my change." <laughs> and it was just like the most perfect. My friend said if he had done anything else, I would have not respected him. Like that was the and my other great. I, again, I wasn't here for this, but a friend of mine was went to a talk that Gore Vidal gave. Okay, talked for an hour, and then um, hang on, let me take a little water for this. Spoke for an hour and then took questions from the audience. And um, so in the audience, <coughs> Albert Brooks is is one of the audience members. So people are you know. Casper Weinberger and Ronald Reagan, and he's dishing on them, and just boom, boom, boom. That goes on for half an hour. And Gore Vidal, well, we're very near the end. Who else do you want me to tear apart? Just give me a name. Who should I rip asunder? And then Albert Brooks yells, Della Reese! (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, I love that guy. And with that, I'm going to run. Thanks, Pat Noswald. Thank you, Chris Hardwick. Sorry Thanks, you couldn't Matt be here, Jonah Ray. Sorry, Matt Meyer, you were off mic. Uh, enjoy your burrito, everybody. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. This episode of the Nerdist Podcast was brought to you by Hover.com. Hover is domain name registration and management that is simple. For 10% off your new domain, go to Hover.com slash Nerdist. This episode is brought to you by the effortlessly scrumptious bite of Skinny Pop Popcorn. Imagine this. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious kernels, a symphony of just three simple ingredients. Popcorn, sunflower oil, and a sprinkle of salt. No compromise, just pure snacking freedom. And hey, if you're up for a twist, dive into flavors like zesty white cheddar to sweet and salty kettle. Every bite's a delight, light and oh so tasty. Shop Skinny Pop now.